He's an expert at helping doctors. You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and with me is Dr. Dan Shapiro, Director of the Medical Humanities Program and Associate Professor of Clinical Psychiatry at the University of Arizona in Tucson, Arizona, and author of Delivering Amelia the story of a young, gifted obstetrician's mistake, and the psychologist who helped her. Dr. Shapiro, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. Glad to be here. Tell us about your book, Delivering Dr. Amelia. Well, I'm a psychologist at a medical school, and I was trained, really, to treat medical patients. And I did part of my training at Harvard and then arrived at the University of Arizona, fresh out of training, ready to start psychologically treating medical patients. But after a short period of time, one of the physicians who had referred me some patients came to see me himself, and he did a tough bit of work in therapy and then referred me a few of his friends. And pretty soon, a decent proportion of my patients were physicians and, you know, who are fun to treat because they're bright, motivated, and, you know, frankly, a little tortured. And so over time, I've started to develop expertise in this area. Now, Amelia was one of these physicians I was referred after she made a medical error. And the book is really about our adventure together, helping her cope with her perceptions of her mistake and in some ways her entire acculturation as a physician in training and then a young attending. What are the common threads that weave through your doctor patients? There are quite a few. I'd say one of them is the difference between healing and curing that a lot of our young docs have come to the front lines eager to cure their patients when, in fact, 75% of their patients are going to have chronic illnesses they probably aren't going to cure. They tend to have issues with control and perfectionism, which is, on one hand, really great because, you know, we want the people caring for our most ill to be perfectionist, and we want them to try and control the stuff in front of them. But at the same time, you can pay a pretty steep personal price for those things. Finally, I will say that physicians are often like massive ships. By the time they're sinking, it is often too late. And that physicians come to me as patients far later than most patients do. Physicians have an incredible tolerance for psychological anguish, partly because we've, you know, acculturated them or trained them to ignore their own psychological responses to things so that they can be functional in any given circumstance. But unfortunately, they can pay a pretty steep price for some of that sometimes. And so they come too late. Why do you think it's so hard to ask for help? I think we acculturate that through the training. You know, you're really supposed to be able to handle any fastball that gets thrown you. To cry uncle is to be weak and unreliable. And in fact, if you think about it, it takes a lot more courage to say that you need help. So, you know, we've twisted things up a little bit. What's your best advice to listeners who may be struggling and having a difficult time asking for help? I don't think there's a simple response. I think one of the ways I advise young docs to avoid having to come see me is to listen to their own bodies. We all have stress barometers, which are these indicators or signals, if you will, that we're more stressed out than we may realize. And I'll tell you some of mine. For example, a mild stress barometer for me is when I get this thin crease of skin on the inside of my cheek. That's a sign to me that I've got mild stress. Moderate stress for me is when I white-knuckle the steering wheel and say unkind things about other drivers. 
and severe stress for me. I get this little flutter in my left eye, like the, my whole visual field jumps up and down, and that's a sign that I'm seriously stressed. Now, if you ask me at any given time how stressed I am, if I'm not paying a lot of attention, it'll take me a while to figure that out. So, you know, most physicians just go through their days, march through the days, head down, and no question, as a doc, you need the ability to put your head down and just plow through. But if people take a little bit of time and pay attention to those biologic signals and then try to do something about them, they can often stave off the need to see someone like me. What did you learn about yourself while you were helping Dr. Amelia? Well, now, I had had a five-year cancer experience and had been, at the time when I was ill, struggling with the degree of vulnerability the patient role took and required and demanded. And it was painful. And so at times, when I had this patient in front of me that I was trying to take care of, who had also, in her case, had a patient who was vulnerable and who had had some problems, I at times sympathized with the patient. And that was a struggle for us. I had to really try to stay on top of my own stuff as we worked together. What do you hope that doctors will get out of this book? Part of it is to see how universal mistakes are. We have a horrible system. This malpractice system is absolutely atrocious because we miss the vast majority of our mistakes and we torture people who have made honest mistakes. And then as a result, we don't learn from our mistakes because one of the first things a defense attorney will tell a young physician or any physician who's made a mistake is don't talk to anyone. We should have a modified no-fault system where people who make mistakes say, you know what, I made a mistake, please compensate my patient, please learn from this mistake so we can help to avoid it in the future with other people. I mean, that would be a much more civilized system. And in fact, there are other countries who have systems like that. So that's part of it. It's a willingness to face your own errors and then to try to do something about them that makes sense. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and joining me is Dr. Dan Shapiro from the University of Arizona in Tucson, Arizona, discussing his book, Delivering Amelia, the story of a young gifted obstetrician's mistake and the psychologist who helped her. Dr. Shapiro, what do you tell doctors who have made a mistake? The first process is to take an honest, square look at your own behavior and what you did that you think was truly a mistake and distinguish that from what the legal system believes because those two things may be completely uncorrelated. That willingness to learn from your own errors, I think, is often the difference between a doc who's really talented and one that is subpar. So that's the first phase. The second phase is how they deal with the medical malpractice system and that's different. They have to see it more as a game and less like the ultimate arbiter of their competence. Finally, a lot of docs who are sued begin to practice defensive medicine. There's some estimates to suggest that we spend up to $40 billion a year on unnecessary medical tests just because physicians are worried about covering their butts, and that's not great. So that's one of the other things we talk about. What feedback have you received from doctors about your book, Delivering Dr. Amelia? It's been really warm, and that has been wonderful. There are a lot of physicians who have read it after making mistakes or even just going through training and being worried about making mistakes or that kind of circumstance, and it's been terrific. Has the book been used in medical school? In fact, it has. Both of my books have been used in medical schools, and I've spoken at a variety of them. In fact, I go to Duke every year and kick off their capstone 
with some of the material from these books. Having lived on both sides of the fence as a patient and a doctor, what do you tell medical students? Well, we talk a lot about some of the issues that I've raised with you so far about how you handle your own mistakes, how clinicians handle their mistakes. Medical students are often fairly fragile when it comes to thinking about clinical work and the weight of responsibility. They are probably more in touch with their limitations and the fragility of care than some more senior clinicians because they're faced daily with the mountain of information there is to know and how little they know now. How do you maintain balance in your life? Well, I exercise. I chase little children around. I have a dog. I try to live a full life. How do you advise doctors who say, oh, I'd love to write a book and tell my personal experiences, but I have no experience writing? Oh, well, there's a tough topic. (laughs) Writing is quite a torturous endeavor sometimes. I write every day. I think the first advice I have for new writers is to find your physiology. That is the time of day when you can be the most creatively productive. And then I believe in writing every day, even if it's a tiny bit. And that's the first important step. Finally, what's particularly difficult for physicians often is tolerating a pretty rough, rough draft. You have to be willing to look at your writing after it's fairly grim and not get completely discouraged, but realize that rewriting is a major part of writing. And a willingness to do those three things can make a huge difference and help people along the way in their journey to become a writer. That's good advice. How about having an editor or someone to read your work in the early stages? I think that's very astute. You have to find people you trust who aren't only going to tell you how brilliant you are, but are going to point out you know, where they were confused, where the theme didn't work, or that sort of thing. And you know, finding good readers is critically important to a writer. Tell us about your children and how they came into this world. So when I was ill... My mother met another patient's mom, and they began... My mother was one of those people who will start conversations with anyone, and she would grill anybody she met who knew anything about the cancer experience. And this woman told her that we should bank sperm because I was going to be sterile as a result of chemotherapy. So we did that, and then some years later, I banked the sperm in 1987, and then 10 years later, we had our daughter, Alexandra, and a few years after that, we had a second daughter, and they are now... 11 and 8 years old and wonderful. Dr. Shapiro, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm very pleased. I'm Susan Dolan. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions at ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts of the ReachMD library. Thank you for listening.